Welcome to the Serve Conscious Podcast, where people and companies can learn the inner game of service and tap into the fullest power of the service opportunity. So join me and let's master the service mindset together and up-level service the world over. And I encourage you to check out my partner, the Institute for Organizational Mindfulness, which is on a mission to help people and companies to incorporate mindfulness into their culture and raise performance, efficiency, general happiness, and everything that we want from going to work. So link is in the show notes for you to go deeper into that as well as the mindful service movement. All right, let's get started. Hello, guys. Welcome. So we are going to talk about such a fundamental topic today that I think it's going to take multiple episodes to fully cover. And it's not going to be like a series where you have to listen to them in sequence. I just think there's so many facets to it. Each facet can be explored in separate installments that kind of stand alone. So this can be considered the first one. And this topic that I speak of is stress. You've probably heard that word before. Anyone that works has probably experienced it. In fact, anyone that lives life has experienced it to some degree. It's pretty hard to escape any experience of stress. We're simply designed to respond to our environment like this. Whether or not there is actually a massively threatening or challenging situation, and whether or not we even think we're experiencing stress. Stress affects you and influences your behavior in ways that might surprise you. And there are lots of challenges to work life and life in general. And if it wasn't for stress, work would be, wow, pretty easy, right? And maybe it's possible that this is like the only reason that work sucks. I'm sure there are stress scientists that would argue that. You can probably find other categories of challenges in the workplace. You know, boredom might not be stress, but stress could very easily be part of our experience of boredom. And maybe the particular part of it that makes boredom so unlivable. Whether or not that's true, it's the kind of mindful thought experiment that I like. You can ask yourself, would I be fine with being bored if I wasn't stressed about the boredom? Like some low-level amount of stress. I'm not talking like a heightened stress response. I'm talking about that deep, restless agitation that comes with it. So stress is hugely influential on our quality of life, also our success, and our health. And you've probably heard some inkling of these studies, at least, that show the impact of stress on almost everything. I've become really steeped in stress science as somebody that teaches meditation and mindfulness and particular practices that I've been trained in go directly towards stress release. And it's tempting to look at the damage that stress causes and think, okay, well, a stress-free world then is what we must strive towards as people. And then all of our problems are solved. But really, that's quite a tall order. And absolutely not necessary, because really to free yourself of stress's negative influence on your life, we're not talking about deleting its presence. We're talking about just being able to have more capacity for stress and a better relationship to stress. 
so that it doesn't corrode our well-being. And we're going to be talking about really effective ways to do that throughout the course of this series around stress. And I was really inspired to do this as a follow-up to the last podcast episode, which was about emotional labor and the challenges of surface acting. Definitely give that one a listen for more context, but I'll summarize it here. One of the biggest struggles of service-oriented work is having an experience that is unhappy, unpleasant in some way, and having to, on the surface, perform happiness, project an image of happiness, especially if a customer triggers us in some way. We're often not able to properly respond to the trigger. There's an expectation for us to act like it's not bothering us and possibly even pretend like the pain we're feeling is not even there. And talking about the fundamentals of stress as a follow-up to this is important because in speaking of these emotional states that we're sort of trapped in and unable to properly process, we are speaking of ones that are fueled by stress responses. That's why they are so unmanageable and need processing. There's stress there. Even if the unpleasant emotion is not necessarily a very heightened one, So maybe you're feeling depressed and need to look happy, right? And you might be thinking, okay, I'm depressed, but I'm not stressed. So is stress a factor here? Yes, because it's going to be stressful to be required and expected to be happy when we're feeling depressed. And also these low states, these depleted states, depression, burnout, etc., are often the result of accumulated stress. So continual experiences that wear down our vitality, our mental vitality and balance. So really getting in front of the negative impacts of stress so that we can prevent the toll they take is a constant self-care program. It's not just having a technique to maybe calm ourselves in the moment of experiencing stress, that's really valuable. You want to return to center as quickly as possible. But also, what are you doing to keep your tank full so that you're naturally more stress resilient, you're naturally more vital and able to just sort of handle and bounce back from a stressful experience, or maybe not even have one that affects you much at all, where it normally would. And in looking at programs like this, we could go pretty extensively because it involves general health, well-being practices in every category that you can slot them in, anywhere from fitness to meditation, which I specialize in and work with people directly to help them build a program in their life and, and of course, provide plenty of free programs on that on the Serve Conscious website. Definitely check that out. Mindfulness, which is a different category, in my opinion. It's not just sitting with your eyes closed. It's looking at how you do everything. What state of mind are you in in every phase of your life? How are you eating? How are you brushing your teeth? How are you transporting yourself from one place to another? How are you meeting these stressful experiences? 
How are you communicating? The quality of your attention can be developed in all of these areas, and quality of life transforms massively, and the impact of stress transforms massively. The more you can continually up-level your attention powers there. Another thing I work with people on directly, you can always benefit from that, but again, there's constant free resources and free guided practices that you can get your feet wet with. With me and others, of course, that speak your language. You know, this is really personal, you know, working with your mind. And so you want someone who you'd want as a voice in your head, you know, a mentoring voice in your head. So it has to be somebody you feel really comfortable around and trust. And everyone has a different flavor there. So I'm always happy to suggest a direction you go in based on your particular flavor in terms of what kind of teacher you'd, you'd benefit from. Mindset's also important. I've separated that from mindfulness because it has a different orientation. Mindfulness is about developing awareness practices that allow you to navigate experiences with more skill, with more fluidity, and also process experiences, including intense emotional experiences, with more fluidity. But it's not as much about manipulating your life into certain outcomes. It's more about meeting your life as it is, with as high-quality attention as you possibly can. Mindset looks more at whether you're wired for success. Whatever your definition of success is, it requires a certain amount of action and a certain quality of action. And that goes beyond just awareness. So mindset's all about looking at whether or not your belief systems, your value systems, your relationship to struggle and failure and challenges are healthy and strong and propelling you towards the kind of life you want to live, the kind of person you want to become. So this is where my work with people sort of embraces manipulating your life a lot more. Mindfulness expressly shies away from manipulating or muscling any change, but it's a really key baseline for then beginning to build the mindset that actions and creates the life you want, whatever it is you do, however you define success. And this kind of work allows me to carry the designation of coach. And if you're working with any coach, they're going to be working on these ingredients in your life with some sort of strategy. And then a final aspect of your resilience to stress and any of the burnout or depression that comes with it would be found in your general fitness and diet regimen, which is not my specialty. I just sort of fumble through that stuff, but that doesn't mean it's any less important than anything else. And in fact, in some respects, it's more important that you start to bring movement into your life when you are someone like me, because I tend to be head oriented and miss out on a really valuable intelligence within us from the neck down. And that is just a product of our society as well. We've all become a lot more head oriented than we might have historically been because so many more of our daily challenges require head-based problem solving and not body-based problem solving. So naturally, we're going to be caught in our heads more. 
So if you find your mind constantly wandering and scattered and thinking, 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 that's because life today has patterned you to be in this state. And that's okay. Just know that getting back into the body with some sort of movement, doesn't have to be too strenuous, will potentially be more your medicine than you even think. Like so many times I feel like I've got, you know, some kind of mental conundrum happening and I may be stuck mentally or I'm just feeling really low mentally and no amount of meditation or mindfulness seems to be getting me to the state that I feel that I'm at my best. And then all of a sudden I incorporate more movement and it's like, boom, the way is cleared. Like that was really what I needed. So that kind of stuff pays dividends. I'm not going to be teaching much of that stuff in the work I do with all of you, but I will use this as a really good segue to talk about one of the first points of stress management that we can get more familiar with, and that's stress release. What does properly releasing stress look like? Well, first and foremost, I want to establish that aggressive physical activity is not the form of stress release that you may think it is. It's probably releasing something, and it might be just what you need, but calling it stress release isn't helpful to do, and I'll explain what I mean by this. So let's say we're having a stressful experience and we can't really deal with it in the moment, and we feel like we're bottling it up, and all we want to do is seal ourselves in a room that is maybe sound, somehow soundproof. I worked in the restaurant industry. People like walk-in fridges for that because they vacuum seal. So you can shut the door and have your own little scream therapy session, self-therapy session, right? If that's what you feel you needed, I am not going to argue with that. And if you feel better after... I'm also not going to argue with that. But physiologically, you haven't performed your stress release for the day. It's important to not confuse stress release with cathartic behavior. And they have these, I think, in many cities now, uh, rage rooms where you can go in and just smash stuff and let all the rage out. And then somehow, because you behaved aggressively, now that stress is no longer in you. Primal scream therapy actually became a modality based somewhat, I think, on these principles. I think they're more, there's more to it than that. But it became kind of a thing in the 60s and has since been somewhat discredited. I don't think it's all the way considered nonsense, but almost everyone that I respect considers it something that has the wrong idea where if you just scream as intensely as possible, you're going to release all of your deep, dark demons and be left in a state of deep calm. It's not really like that. Like you're a balloon filled with stress and the way of letting the air out of the balloon is to behave intensely. That is a total misnomer. A lot of the feeling that comes after screaming intensely for a period of time, or running around a room smashing stuff. That is largely fatigue. Physical tiredness mixed with a chemical fatigue due to adrenaline pumping through you and then becoming exhausted, leaving you in a sort of crashed state. And physical fatigue is often confused 
for peace and calm. However, physical fatigue is sometimes used to enter a deep meditative state, but this is in a controlled retreat setting with many more moving parts. This is not something that is a reliable source of calm in your life. However, raging out is effective, and here's why. Physiologically, you're not necessarily releasing very much stress, if any at all. However, what you are releasing is resistance to the experience, because you are most certainly leaning into it. And this is very helpful. If this is your only way forward, it will be helpful, because resistance to stress, resistance to any experience, and the more mindfulness you bring in your life, the more you'll be able to understand and navigate your own resistance to things. And it's sometimes very deep and subtle, your resistance to an experience. And letting go of resistance is profoundly liberating and can lead to unbelievable well-being, calm, capability, all the good stuff in life. Hence the movie Fight Club. That's really fundamentally the spirit of this group of dudes getting together and kind of rediscovering themselves as men by punching each other in the face. And that is basically a letting go of their resistance to these urges in modern polite society. And it shows us in doing so, these characters experience a certain ecstasy as a product of allowing themselves to be violent and aggressive. So great, let's make friends with this animal nature of ours. I'm, I love that movie, and I love the work of both Chuck Palahniuk and David Fincher. They tell stories that delight me, but they do not provide an understanding of our animal nature that is complete enough for my liking. Because if it's believed that behaving with hostility is the only antidote to bottling up our stress-fueled rage then there is a lack of understanding of the options available to us. There are other options that can provide more happiness, more satisfaction, more mental health and stability, more growth and wisdom and capability as a result of having these stressful experiences. This is the value of mindful practices used in these difficult moments, which allow you to have an experience full on. Like alleviate all of that feeling of being bottled up or that feeling of resisting or repressing an experience, but also without having to behave a certain way outwardly. You can process that all internally. This is an important shift that frees us from having to rage out and break things just because we're experiencing anger. So you can fully process this experience of stress without having to tell someone off, without having to scream in your designated screaming box. There are consequences socially and as it concerns our general relationships to others, but there are also consequences as it concerns your general well-being. Having to have a bombastic episode in order to process every experience will feed a lot back into your stress anatomy. Aggressive behavior produces stress. So aggressive behavior as a result of a stress response will put more stress back into the body that has to be processed later so it can become a vicious cycle of sort of patterning the mind and body into something that tends to be more aggressive and hostile. 
As the Buddha so succinctly has put it, whatever you tend to do is the result of what you tend to do, right? Our behavior is the result of how we've tended to behave up until this point. Grooves form in the mind we naturally fall into, especially in stressful moments since your problem-solving and creativity skills go out the window and you are relying on impulse. You are relying on habitual behavior that you don't have to think too much about. In this episode and throughout this series, you're going to learn about how stress inhabits the body and how that determines future stress responses and the potential consequences of that. Because here's what needs to be understood about stress. Stress is also a function of our animal nature. It is the body's response to its belief that there is a threat. And what does your body need when there is a threat? It needs resources. And what it does is it pushes all of your resources into just immediate use in a dramatic metabolic turn of events. Like your adrenaline basically kicks on this system that involves your blood pumping and thickening and digestion stopping so you can use your energy to escape or fight. Digestion stops and so many mental and physical functions just kind of go offline in the name of surviving the moment. And these are things that we might really value. For example, creative thinking, compassion, kindness, and also all of our internal maintenance systems that are kind of ensuring a long and happy life. They are no longer in charge. What's happening now is your body's getting overcooked at tremendous cost, and that cost is considered worth it because it's better than dying, right? So it's really good that we have this system because it keeps us alive. The only problem is it's always firing even when there are no threats. And so we're always compromising ourselves when we're actually not physically in danger. So managing a stress response when it comes up is really important. But not only that, releasing the tension in our mind and bodies, because that tension makes us more likely to have an unnecessary stress response. And you know what releases that tension? It's not breaking stuff. It's not screaming. And in fact, that can just create more stress. You're triggering adrenaline flow. You're telling the mind through your behavior that there is danger and threat all around you. And you're feeding stress imprints back into the body. Feeding what Eckhart Tolle would call the pain body, right? And that is your body's entire archive of stressful experiences that basically make it more ready to have a stress response, or he might call it a suffering, an experience of suffering the next time you're challenged. So we need more than behavior in order to process stress. We actually need the opposite of aggression. Stress is released in states of relaxation. You can't release stress when you are tense. So meditation releases stress. Sleep releases stress. You are in a state of relaxation when you're sleeping, and that is when your body 
processes a lot of this stuff and gets it out. It doesn't do enough though, based on how much stress we take on in our lives. That's why we need these other practices. Meditation allows a much more dynamic relaxation process that can dig deeper and pull more stuff out. Pro tip, when you are meditating and your mind is wandering, it is often the result of your body releasing something. Because anytime the body releases something, it creates agitation and the mind responds with kind of getting noisy. And this is your freedom from having to punish yourself and be like, oh, I screwed up. My mind was wandering. The reason your mind was wandering was because your body was doing exactly what it should be doing during a meditation practice. And that's let go of something. And letting go is not a quiet process. That's why meditation is about this constant ebb and flow, drifting into our noisy brain, coming back to whatever we have our attention on, whether it's breath, the mantra, our bodies. There's all kinds of practices you can do. There's plenty on the site that you can check out. You can actually try thinking to yourself every time your mind wanders in meditation and you return, oh, good, I was just releasing something and now I'm back to focusing on whatever I need to be focusing on. This is why I tell people that meditation and mindfulness too is not about constantly being fixed on something. It's about drifting and returning, drifting and returning. It is that kind of process of consistent attention, not constant attention. Consistent attention allows that flexibility of movement every time the body is doing some release. This is not something you're going to hear from a lot of mindfulness teachers, but I've been trained in other forms of meditation that have a different understanding of the body's involvement in meditation. That's been extremely helpful for me in my own practice and the people I teach. And you might be wondering, okay, so there are forms of what seem to be pretty aggressive movement that do release stress, right? Like yoga releases stress. Massage releases stress. There are forms of physical therapy like trauma release therapy that can involve some fairly bold movements that involve incredible stress release. If you've had trauma in your life, trauma release therapy from credible practitioners can be amazing. I definitely recommend it. And this stuff works because, I didn't tell you this, very important part, stress lives in the body, in the muscle tissues. Stress science became a thing, I think, in the 50s and 60s, but it wasn't until a little later that psychologists have gone deeper into their understanding of stress as an extremely visceral thing. And memory is an extremely visceral thing. And so if you are easily triggered in a moment of challenge, of difficulty, where someone else might not be, right? You're not handling it as well. That is because the body has a bunch of memories of stressful experiences stored in it that were easily triggered by some complex of events, basically. And this causes an undue stress response. So going into the body and digging out stress directly is going to be your friend here for stress release and consequently stress management in your job. Meditation does this in a very broad, general sort of way. And I was talking about how movement does this in maybe a more direct way. Let's talk about yoga first. Some forms of it and some phases of a program, it might be obvious because they are extremely relaxing. Even though you're moving, it just feels liquid and harmonious and like a meditation in motion, right? Other forms, though, are pretty strenuous. 
like you're moving, you're shaking, you're wanting it to be over. You're maybe having a stress reaction about how difficult it is, right? So how does this release stress? Well, the key operator here is openness, as in it's opening some part of the body that's storing stress. Tension is constrictive and causes things to be held in. But if something very aggressive in its movements causes an opening, so some part of your body might be shaking and strained, but another part of you is super relaxed and getting opened, and that allows a physical release of stress. Just like, you know, getting a massage. You need to be relaxed for them to be able to open the tissues, right? So relaxation is always required for release, basically, is what I'm making a very long case for here. <laughs> it's an important case to make because I think people too often believe they have their stress release bases covered because they do things that are very healthy and are therefore getting mislabeled as stress releasing because of the well-being and happiness that they're bringing to someone's life. So if you love running and you feel great as a result of doing it, of course keep that there. Just don't call it your meditation. It might have a hypnotic effect on you. It certainly feels meditative because you're calm after, because you're full of endorphins, which are basically your body doping you up off of its own biochemistry to, to kill all of the pain from the strain of running. But insofar as meditation is stress release, running is not providing you with that. And this is unverified, but it makes a lot of sense. Your body tends to associate running with fleeing from danger. Like there's a really deep, savage part of us that thinks, I'm only going to run when there's a real problem. So you're actually producing stress hormones as a result of running. So it kind of has the opposite effect of stress release in that regard, although it is, you know, healthy and important in so many other ways. It's not meditation. It's not stress release. It's physical fitness. And maybe you like going for walks. By the way, walks are really good for lowering stress chemicals in your body and generally influencing a calm state of mind. So definitely have walking in your life. And please, I'd like to reiterate, definitely have running in your life. I just want to emphasize that walking is not a meditation and walking is not stress release unless it's a walking meditation. There's a specific process for that that's radically different from how you may be normally walking. And maybe I'll teach it sometime because it's awesome. But just don't confuse walking to clear your head as a key resource for stress release. It's great, keep doing it, but I suggest bringing in bigger guns for the kind of stress you tend to deal with in service work. If walking was like meditation, then all the stockbrokers raging along the Wall Street pavement would be enlightened by now, but they're some of the most stressed people alive. So walking isn't enough, especially if it's with a stressed intent. So next week, we're gonna talk more about how stress works, how to deal with it in the moment. Right now, I wanted to lay out a basic framework of how to have a general stress resilience protocol in your life and what you actually need to actually release stress. Calming stuff is really good. Deep calming stuff is truly what will release stress because as we've learned, the calmer you are, 
the more stress release can occur. Basically, what we're talking about here is giving yourself a sense of safety. The mind and the body has to feel safe in order to do maintenance work like this, releasing stress. It doesn't do that stuff when it is on alert and feeling threatened. Stress is essentially your animal hardware signaling that this vessel, this human vessel of ours, is not safe. And that feeling of non-safety is when all of the tension, you know, that kind of coiled, ready-to-pounce physiology gets locked into the tissues. And we begin to carry around burdens that build on themselves and then turn into anxiety attacks, burnout, depression, all that stuff. So we need to have certain phases of our day where we feel entirely safe to practice something that will make us feel even safer. So we'll bring an even deeper calm. Meditation, of course. Yoga, of course. And we'll get into this in the next episode, but more awareness of the body. The more you run your attention through the body, the more it relaxes it. And that attention will encourage the body to continue to unwind stress. And there are actually meditations that really take you deep into this, and we can go through one. I might actually, uh, later in this uh, stress program. But any bodily awareness during the day is really valuable for this. Or doing things where you feel more in your body, like dancing. Cuddling. Yeah, human touch. If you have a loved one, or even like a friend where there's a lot of platonic trust, lie down, spoon with them for a bit. We are designed to find safety in that. It's built right into our mammalian hardware. There have been all kinds of uh, studies done on this. Just that feeling of someone's heartbeat, that human contact. It does incredible stuff to calm you. And that level of deep calm and safety could result in uh, stress processing properly in the body. There is no replacement for human contact. I'm sure you've found that in uh, these virusy days we live in. So if you can access that as a resource, it will really serve you. All right, that's enough about stress release. I hope it was helpful. I'd love for you to challenge me on any of this or ask me to go deeper into some area I glazed over. I'm, I'm sure there was incompleteness in what I was offering because this is such a, a deep topic and there is so much more that we can get into and we're going to get into it next week. So in the meantime, check out the Surf Conscious website, www.surfconscious.com and upcoming, I've got a free offering coming up that can help you tick that mindfulness box. You're going to learn some mindful human skills. Everywhere from socialization to handling difficulty and pain to procrastination. And I'll leave a link to that in the show notes so you can grab a spot. It's going to be done live on September the 14th, 7 p.m. So I definitely want to see you there. All right. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye.